You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and today we're talking about Sex Therapy 101 with Dr. Camden Morganti. I'm so thankful that she's come on today to share, and we go into depth. So I hope that you are ready to learn, to grow, and of course, some of the things you're already probably aware of, but I think everybody has something interesting to to gain from today. I know I sure did. We're always in growth, hopefully, always trying to glean every day, trying to turn over a bit of a new leaf so that we can continue to be the best we can. So I'm super happy that we got this chance together, especially because I think that the issues in marriage and sexual intimacy are under talked about and not everyone listening is a Christian or of a faith background, but a lot of listeners are. And so it's especially important because unless you're talking about the porn industry, which is bigger than all the other social media industries combined pretty much. So I think you're in good hands to get to really think about this critically. It's an important topic for marriage. We want to make the best world we can for our kids that follow us too. So I'm super thrilled that we get to follow up all the other great talks. She and I have had a talk already. Jay Stringer's been on to talk about this topic already, and we'll continue to build upon this topic. We've talked about affairs. So go back and listen to other Enneagram and Marriage episodes if you need even more building blocks after you listen to this. But we cover quite a bit here today. So super grateful for that, especially in light of, interestingly, a new study I saw in Psychology Today for this summer month was about how 79% of couples are using dominance in the bedroom and pain. And so it's really important that you understand that while nobody is being shamed today, the very best you can really desire for your marriage is for your partner to be respected and for you to be respected and to say to your partner, things need to shift and change so that I can be respected and that we can grow in intimacy. Because what is thrilling is not what's ultimately going to draw you closer. And so that's important for you to understand that just because something is stimulating doesn't mean that you're going to walk away from it unscathed. So please take a listen. We talk about not only this, but we talk about just dysfunction in sex and how common it is and what we can do about it. And we also get nitty gritty into helpful couple tips for intimacy. So it was such a nice conversation, very much a coffee style chat between two helpers. And I have been having this chat pretty much all week because we are also talking about this in my Enneagram and Marriage course. So excited for our time together this Thursday because it's our biggest module yet as we're on the last quarter of our course now. And it's 55 pages of material plus worksheets just for this module because it is so important that anyone helping couples really know the ins and the outs of what you're going to see, including affairs, but also the various sexual issues. So super happy I get to focus all on the same. It doesn't always happen this way, but it is this week. You can even have a chance to ask your questions because I'm going to be going online with Dr. Camden on Instagram Live. If you're listening to this on the Monday that it comes out, we're going on Instagram Live Tuesday. So I'll send everything to you in an email if you're on my email list. If you're not, be sure to go to enneagramandmarriage.com and every Monday you'll get news from us, including fun things like that where you may have a 
specific question about your type and we go into the nitty gritty in my course about each type, but even on the podcast, there's a lot for you and you can ask those type questions on the Instagram live all for free. So as for the course, if you want more about that, go to enneagramandmarriage.com and you can learn all about that. But in the meantime, all is well in our family. And I'm just going to quickly say that we had the Hurricane Elsa come through Florida and it ended up being no biggie. I was gone getting cousins in Michigan mostly until we came in on Tuesday morning flying home. And they said we were going to meet Elsa in the sky. And she was not that happy. Two of my family members, our two and our four, screamed. And they did say the oxygen mask was going to come down potentially. So be ready to put that over your face masks. And I was zoned out in headphones reading an Enneagram book. So I missed a lot of that, but but probably was anxious somewhere underneath it all, I imagine. And I was sitting next to my four saying, it's, it's going to be okay. And afterwards, she's like, mom, did you hear that about the oxygen mask? I'm like, oh my gosh, child. I'm so sorry. I was just so in my Enneagram book. So two in my five space and not enough attention to my four, but I'm working on it and she's working on it. And <laughs> the other group didn't notice. It was so funny because our nine and sevens that were riding with us didn't notice anything and said, no, like the plane ride was great. So it's so funny, the different temperaments all together. And we all just do our best. We're all trying to grow together. And we were so thankful to arrive home and to see sunny skies. But we know we're in hurricane season. So it's always a crazy time. But now let's go ahead and get started on our interview with Dr. Camden. And you'll get to chat with us about all things sex therapy 101. Hey, Dr. Camden, I'm so glad you're back with us. Hi, Krista. Thank you for having me back. I'm happy to talk to you again. Well, we were just talking about what an important topic this is to be able to learn from you about sex therapy 101. And I'm just so grateful. Are you so busy right now with all the questions you're getting around this area in marriage? Yeah. Um, it seems like when I posted about it on my blog and on social media, it was, it really resonated with people. It seemed like there was a lot of questions and a lot of interest in this topic. So yeah, I'm definitely having a lot of discussions about it right now. Oh, thank you. And this is your ongoing work too. We're so grateful for how you're continually pouring into students on this topic as well. Are you enjoying that still? Yes. I'm taking a break from teaching this summer, but I taught online college classes all last year in human sexuality and then in abnormal psychology. So yeah, so I love teaching my college students and getting to just share what I do in my day job in private practice and share those stories with them as a way to teach them and pour into the next generation of counselors. Oh my goodness. That is my huge heart with you right there to pour into the next gen of those mm -hmm. learning. So I'm so grateful and thank you for doing that. And today we get to talk about your marriage a little bit. So okay. let's start there um, with talking a little bit about you are the six, nine pairing. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about how you met your hubby and his name. Okay. His name is John. He's a nine and I'm the six mm -hmm. and we met we were 28 when we met. I had been single for a really long time when we met. And that's part of my story about purity culture and its effects on me that I talk about in my work. But yeah, so we met through his mom. His his mom introduced us. She and I had met at a church women's event mm -hmm. and just had a conversation at, at our table. And she really liked me. And we met Aww. up for dinner. And then she invited me to meet her family and have dinner with her family and made sure to tell me she had a, a son who was single. And, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so we met at 
a restaurant and, and he was very shy. He's very, he's very introverted and kind of shy and quiet um, when we met, mm-hmm. but I could tell he was just a gentle soul. And I could tell that he was just very kind hearted and just, just a very nice man. Like I could instantly tell that. And, um, and so I was, and I thought he was cute. You know, I thought he was good looking. And so, um, so a few days after we met, he texted me, got, got my number out of his mom's phone and texted me. And, and then we went out on a date and we've, yeah, we've been together since then. We got married when about a, not quite two years after we met, we were almost, I was almost 30. Um, John was 30 and yes, we've been married five years now. We just celebrate our fifth anniversary. Oh, congratulations. That's Thank wonderful. You. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been a blessing and we have um, a two and a half year old daughter. So oh. she's been a part of our family now for half of our marriage. So <laughs> that definitely changed things, um, you know, having her, but yeah, so it's, I'm very blessed, you know, by our marriage and, and having our family, especially after waiting for him for a long time and just really, really desiring um, to find him and be married in my twenties. And then you know, finally meeting and getting married when we were 30. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. That's really cool. And I know a lot of nines don't rush to marriage, but I know a lot of sixes that do long for it sooner. So Mm -hmm. I grieve with you on how you were wanting that so soon because you're such a connector as a six. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure that was hard to wait, but I know you were glad when you found him. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. I always craved the security that a relationship would provide. And I spent a lot of my time uh, when I was single, kind of on my own, you know, because I, I got my doctorate. So I moved away for school kind of on my own, lived wow. alone for a few years, moved mm-hmm. once I finished my doctorate. So yeah, so did a lot of life on my own and really yearned to have a partner to share share that life with. And so yeah, so it's definitely been a blessing. Oh my gosh. That's neat for sixes to hear who are single listening. There is hope mm-hmm. guys and, mm-hmm. and waiting for the best one is a hundred percent worth it. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. And I love that his mom introduced you. That is so six and so fun that you <laughs> connected with the whole family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she, I guess gave her approval before we even started dating. Oh my goodness. That's beautiful. And you guys are a very popular pairing. I would say within the top five or six couple dyads that Mm -hmm. I hear about or that purchase my glow guides is your six, nine pairing. And uh, upon knowing more about you guys, I call that the harmonic vibes and you make up the three, six, nine pragmatist grouping. So I guess I want to ask you at the beginning here, tell us about what that looks like to have two pragmatist or practical people in a relationship. Do you guys make decisions based upon practicality a lot? How does that work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. We, um, we're both, we are both practical. So that makes a lot of sense. We're not dreamers. We're not idealists. We're really not adventurous either. We're both pretty risk averse, I'd say. So yeah, and we, we make decisions as a couple. We're both very passionate about having an egalitarian marriage where we view each other as equal partners. So, so we make those decisions together as a couple and we share a lot of similar values and that we both value family and community and home, um, we are both very supportive of each other, I think. And, and he really um, brings out the more like fun and restful side of me. Like he very much encourages that. And I think I, I emphasize more of like the hardworking, like the work and driven side of him. And so I think we balance each other out pretty well when it comes to those things. That's beautiful. What advice do you have for a young six, nine couple who's just starting out since there's so many of them? 
definitely get to know each other's differences and mm-hmm. try to see differences as a source of strength and not necessarily weakness. You know, I try to see like, how can my husband's strengths, like, how can I use those to strengthen me? Like, how can those strengthen our marriage? Like I said, he being a nine, um, very much emphasizes like rest and fun and um, relaxation, probably more so than me, mm-hmm. because I can go to the three, you know, the, um, yeah. the three and stress and be and a little more of a work focused and ambitious. And, you know, he brings that in sometimes for me and helps me to focus more on our family and rest. And then I think sometimes I can get frustrated because as a nine, he can lack initiative sometimes or lack drive or lack like a clear direction and goals for himself. And so I think I can, I help him in that way because I help him like think about issues he's never really considered. Like before we met, he never really thought about like gender roles and some of the things that I'm passionate about. But as we got to know each other and as we talked and had these conversations and as I introduced him to resources, like he's become very passionate about it himself now too. So yeah, so I think in that way we can use our differences as strengths and not see it as weaknesses. And and just also understanding where the other one is coming from. Like he's in the anger triad and I'm in the fear triad, you know? And so when something happens in our family, particularly if something happens with our daughter, like she gets sick or something, he immediately goes to anger and I immediately go to fear and I can just see how we both react that way. And then he gets mm-hmm. frustrated or angry with my fear. And then I become more <laughs> fearful and anxious when he reacts in anger, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so just recognizing that sometimes helps me to his, take a step back and say like, okay, we're both like concerned about like her sickness or whatever's going on with her or this decision we have to make about childcare and finances and things. We're both concerned and we both think these are important decisions and we're just reacting out of our core emotion. Mm, I like that. Yeah. So that helps me not to overreact in fear when I see his anger, I think. Um, mm-hmm. That's neat. That's a really great insight that you have that when he does that, which is very natural for him, you're triggered. And so because you're not two body types, which some of our other common pairings out there are two body types, like eights and ones or nines and eights. This is really where a lot of people both have the anger. And I think that they have to work with that system, but where you guys have to work is you don't, you, you need to not let it draw you too much into fear. And Wes and I are exactly the same as you. So when our child gets sick, he often says, dang it, Uh (laughs) or hurt. And so it's us reacting. Okay. Hang on. Like, how can we bless each other? How can we balance? And I love hearing you give that advice to a younger couple. Thank you so much. Yeah. And another would be the issue of conflict. Like, you know, conflict happens in marriage. It's inevitable. As a nine, he really shies away from conflict. You know, he really avoids it. And any kind of conflict is very like threatening and kind of a negative sign to him. But for me, I find my anxiety gets very activated when we don't resolve issues. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So one thing I've learned and I've started teaching it to the couples that I'm working with is that when one person is the pursuer in conflict, like wants to get it out, wants to talk about it, wants to hash it out. And this would be me in our marriage. Mm -hmm. And one person is the distancer who wants to emotionally distance from it, like take time away, like not, not deal with it, which is my husband in our marriage. I've noticed that like my anxiety goes up when we are apart and not talking about it. And my anxiety goes down when we are discussing it, but his is the opposite. Correct. Like his anxiety goes up when we're discussing goes down when we're distanced from it. Mm. So recognizing that about each other. And I think having empathy and respect for the other one's like approach to conflict and just how their anxiety works with conflict. Mm -hmm. I think that helps us because 
Like I recognize he needs time. He needs a timeout. He needs to think about it. Like he's more of an internal processor. So I have to soothe and manage my anxiety mm-hmm. while we're taking some time out from a discussion. And then he has to recognize like that her anxiety is going to be really high if we don't come back and resolve this. And so out of respect for me, he, you know, has to learn how to come back and, and actually address it in an effective way. So yeah, so that's something ongoing we're learning and practicing. That's amazing. And that is the other side of the harmony triads called the harmonic groups. And you were in the reactive group as a six and he's in the, let's just have a positive outlook. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Let me withdraw as a nine. And so I love hearing that you're both engaging each other for even just a few minutes longer in that space and learning that as we had the wonderful one, five glow on, she talked all about this, Brittany from Enneagram explained that you care, but you care differently. So Mm -hmm. I love hearing how you're using your harmonic triad and your harmony triad to be both pragmatists as well as to learn how to solve your conflict. Well, that is a huge gift. And it really lastly on the glow pairing reminds me that you're doing your work as a six who, if somebody was to think about a six, nine dynamic in a conflict space, they would think, wait a second, the six wants to be led and the nine does not want to have to take the lead. So how does that work? And what's beautiful about you guys is it's helped you to develop into this egalitarian space. So it's such a Mm -hmm. cool combo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really helped us to not try to force our personalities into certain gender stereotypes or gender roles, Mm -hmm. but to to allow both of us to take turns leading and, you know, both of us choose to submit out of respect for the other one. Like I was giving the examples of, you know, he has to come back to a conflict when he might not want to, I have to allow space when I might not want to. And those are ways that we show respect for each other and our just personality differences. Mm, Thank you. That is really important. And I'm glad to hear that because I'm leaning now into the sex therapy one-on-one topic with you. And I think that's a big part of it. Would you agree to be able to respect each other in that arena as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Respect for just natural differences and just wanting to give to the other one instead of being focused on your own needs and your own preferences. Mm, Yes. And so that being said, what are some of the biggest issues you think couples are struggling with in the bedroom? I know we've talked about so much already, but we've got so much more to unpack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the biggest issues that I see in my practice mostly have to do with sexual shame and sexual messaging. So the lessons that people have heard usually from family growing up or from the church and how those messages have really been distorted and how that leads them to a lot of sexual shame and inhibition. So that can look like outwardly could look like feelings of low sex drive or just just not enjoying sex, not wanting sex, problems achieving orgasm, sexual pain or sexual dysfunctions like erectile dysfunction. So it can look like on the outside, these different sexual problems and, and behavioral issues, but really internally, it's this um, emotional experience of shame and then the cognitive experience of a lot of distorted messages about sex. Mm, Yes, that's well said. And I think that couples get that from each other in early stages with each of our frustrations rising up, as well as from, like you said, the church, families of origin, kind of generational patterns. And so it sounds like you're seeing that when you work on that shame, a lot of times, in addition to, we talked last time about various things we can do for dysfunction, and we'll get into that today too, but that there's a reduction of some of the symptomologies uh, of sexual problems or a reduction of shame. Is that true? 
Yes. Yeah. I think the, the cognitive, the emotional and the behavioral all work together. They're all connected like a triangle. And so when we change one part of the triangle, we can change the other two parts too. So I believe if we can change the cognitive part, which are the thoughts and beliefs and messages that we received about sex and the mm-hmm. um, beliefs that we have about sex, then we can start to make changes in the emotional and behavioral part too. And vice versa. If we make some changes in the emotional and behavioral, we can often see some overflow into the cognitive too. Um, but cognitive is usually where I start with people because it's, it's harder to directly change behavioral and emotional. We can't just tell ourselves, stop feeling shame. There's no reason to feel shame. You know, that actually just increases shame because you're like judging your shaming thought. So I, I start with the cognitive and then incorporate the behavioral where they, where couples start to practice different behaviors, you know, practice these exercises at home together and practice putting in, putting into place new behaviors so that then they experience the emotional shift as well. Mm, that's beautiful. And I often start with the thinking as well as that's kind of our superpower as being in that five, mm-hmm. six, seven thinking triad. But I love how you remind people that if they start in a different place, they might end up finding the same end, but there are certain things you just can't do. And one of them is you can't just say, stop shaming yourself all the time because that can be reshaming and re-triggering. So it's a good word that you're telling people often the emotions will follow if you start out with some healthy thinking, or I would say often the emotions will follow if you start out with some healthy body work. So we're going to talk about both of those things. So if you're listening, you're in for a treat. So tell us a little bit about what people can do in terms of let's, let's talk about one or one of the biggest that we didn't get to cover last time I had you on, and that is erectile dysfunction. You just mentioned it. What's Mm -hmm. something that people might be able to do at home? I know that it's hard to do things without a counselor sometimes, but what would you recommend to couples who came to see you for this? Mm -hmm. Well, you always want to, um, you know, fully assess and understand the problem. You want to rule out any kind of physical causes for the problem. And there can be a lot of physical contributors to erectile dysfunction and, and to sexual pain and, and other issues that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so a referral to s- someone's physician is always important. Um, but I would start by looking at what messages or beliefs might be fueling um, the sexual problem. So for like ED, do, do the men have um, beliefs that they should be sexual conquerors or something like that, or that they should have the higher sex drive and maybe they don't, or that they should always sexually please their wife or their wife should achieve orgasm from intercourse or something like that, which is, is actually more rare than it is the norm. Um, and so I look at what the beliefs are and provide some education to correct if there's some myths or misconceptions to correct those and provide um, just accurate sex education, because so many of my clients who grew up, um, especially in religious homes, just didn't receive appropriate and correct sex education. There just wasn't a holistic and comprehensive understanding of sexuality. So they're missing a lot of the basics about sexual functioning and Mm -hmm. sexual arousal. Yeah. So providing a lot of education on that and then some coaching that they can do at home, some basic self-help exercises or some some homework things that they could try at home with erectile dysfunction. We're trying to help men to take themselves out of a spectator role. So often when they're, when they have this performance anxiety and they start getting into a spectator role where they are like basically judging and evaluating their performance and women can do this too. And it can contribute to orgasm difficulties for women. If they're constantly judging their sexual performance or worried about how their partner feels and not tuned into their own bodies. Mm -hmm. So the body work through sensate focus would be an exercise that I would give couples to practice at home. So through something like that can be really helpful to take you out of your head and help you get more aligned with your body during a sexual experience. 
I love that. And I know that as you were talking about the triangle earlier, a word I almost use that I know we're both familiar with from grad school. And I know some of the listeners are familiar with as well as the biopsychosocial spiritual approach Mm -hmm. that you're considering that biology by visiting the doctor. You're Mm -hmm. thinking back on family of origin a bit. You're thinking back on, am I shaming? Am I spectating here? And you're also saying, let's, let's incorporate this beautiful body work and a non-shaming message, which is ultimately a Christian message, even though the church missed that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes they missed it because they thought everybody was just like them. Like maybe I'm a body type. Maybe I have high testosterone. I'm a leader here. So I have a big voice here in this maybe congregation. And I think men think about sex all day long. And that's not all body types, by the way, but maybe I'm an eight who's got a big personality. And Mm -hmm. so I think that sometimes we've done that kind of damage of saying, this is what everybody thinks because I think this way, or maybe they even bring their own sexual dysfunction into that. But what I hear you saying about ED is that this body work that's healthy and this viewing of themselves as more grace-filled really Mm -hmm. helps a lot. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about sensate focus. I love that exercise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is an exercise that most sex therapists will give couples to do. And it, it's just a practice on giving and receiving pleasure without a focus on the genitals and without a focus on intercourse or the need to orgasm. So it involves some simple, just sensual massage exercises that couples can do at home. Mm -hmm. And there's some, some rules and boundaries in place in that you discourage the couple from touching genitals or breasts. And you also tell them not to have sexual intercourse because you're trying to take the pressure off of them as, as a therapist. So, mm. so for the couple, um, the pressure is off. There's no performance anxiety. The whole point of the exercise is just to relax and just to enjoy touching each other's bodies and giving and receiving pleasure and just getting to know each other's bodies and opening up the lines of communication so that the, um, the receiver can say like, Oh, that touch feels good. Or that, tickles there. It doesn't feel good. And that can help them become more comfortable within communicating about sex when it comes time to take it to the next level of sensate focus. So then the next level would be incorporating touching breasts and genitals, but still not moving into intercourse. And then finally, the next level would involve intercourse at the end of the the sensual massage. So it's just, it's kind of a progressive exercise to help people to desensitize to any anxiety or fear that might've built up. And again, to remove the spectator role and to remove the performance anxiety that, that, um, that a lot of people have with sex. Absolutely. That is beautifully said. And I also want to add to that, that When couples get to that final stage, if the person or one or both partners in this case with ED um, being the male is still having problems with arousal, I think right here, it's really important that the other partner doesn't shame them. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, definitely. If there's any... um sexual issues that affect one person, it affects both people. It affects the couple. Um, And so looking at it as a couple issue instead of an individual issue can reduce the shame and blame on one person. Um, So whether that's ED or whether that's the woman experiencing sexual pain or orgasm problems or either of them experiencing low desire, anything like that, it's how can we approach this as a team and as a couple, what can we each do for this problem instead of looking at it as, well, you're broken or you're defective or you're the one with the problem, you need help. Mm, That's beautiful because you're not just saying not only don't shame them, but also look at this more from that holistic biopsychosocial spiritual level on both partners. So perhaps somebody's tired at this time of day or prefers these different senses and maybe there's smells that are triggers or memories that are triggers. And so talking it out and working it out together versus one person's fault kind of aspect or attitude really probably goes a long way in your practice. I know it does in mine. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking at it as a, as a mutual issue and how can we work on this together as a team reduces the blame on anyone as an individual. Yeah, and you're talking about that not only in terms of ED, but like you said, mm-hmm. vaginismus as well. When women are struggling with dyspnea or any amount of sexual pain or a trauma trigger, that we don't just ignore this area of life and say, "Oh, I guess this isn't going to be our strong point." We still want to love each other, but we also it's an important area of life in most cases that couples do want to work on. Is that your experience too? Yeah, I think it is an important area of life and there's, there's going to be ebbs and flows to your sex life and there's going to be changes and adjustments along the way with, with aging, with health issues, with, um, you know, children and, and their aging, um, and your family situation changing. Um, but looking at it as, as a team and looking at it as this is a beautiful part of our marriage. That's just for us. That's the sacred gift that God's given us for us to enjoy. And how can we protect and honor this gift, even though it may look differently at different points in our life and in our marriage. Mm, that's true. And I like that we're saying, try not to ignore it here, because even if you're somebody who says, I don't seem to be aroused before we're intimate, it's okay because we each have organs that can be aroused and it, it is okay to lean in and say, let's learn how I might be able to be aroused versus, okay, I don't have a big sex drive. This area isn't important to me, even if it is to my spouse, forget it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it involves a lot of just experimentation and play, you know, that it's, it's okay to, to approach sex with a, with a playful, um, and open attitude. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, the same every single time. And there's certainly, you know, times where sex can feel more routine or has to be quicker because, you know, your little one's about to wake up from a nap. <laughs> That's the stage of life we're in right now with a, with a toddler. Um, but then there are times that you get to really take your time and enjoy it more. And you and your spouse can experiment and try new things and discuss what feels good. And so, yeah, so looking at it as a fun, um, and very intimate part of your marriage that, that bonds you together. And that's, that's just something special just for the two of you. Mm, That's really important. I'm glad that you are encouraging couples just because it isn't always convenient. Doesn't mean it doesn't get to, it doesn't have to end. It could be Mm -hmm. just that you understand that this is a season where most of the time, unless we have maybe a babysitter or a special night getaway, Mm -hmm. it isn't going to be everything. And I think that's what you bring us as the six, nine pairing too, is let's be practical here. We have sexual needs, but we don't have to be too idealistic here. And that's where the one sevens and fours can get into trouble or the relational group, because those two groups can say, oh, we have to be 100% feeling so happy with each other, or we have to be just, everything has to be perfect. The stars have to be aligned. And you're reminding us, Hey, there's some body instincts that just need to be attended to try to connect with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not even body instincts, but also just this desire for closeness and, mm-hmm. and intimacy. Like I try to look at sex as this is an expression of the covenant that we've made with each other, this commitment that we've made with just the two of each other, with the two of us. And every time you and your spouse have sex is an opportunity to renew that covenant with each other and to remind yourselves and each other of of your commitment and of your love and of the vows you've made. And, and just, it reminds you of the sacred gift that's only between the two of you um, to enjoy. So it, it is definitely something to nurture and protect, even if it looks different at different points in time. Well, that just reminds me too, of couples who say we can't get intimate until we are not in any kind of conflict. And so what mm-hmm. those couples are in danger of missing sometimes is this step of intimacy brings you closer. And it doesn't mean you're having a terrible abusive argument. And now you run to sex. It just means 
you can actually, I like what you just said, really bond. And that might be the first step for a lot of couples, every couple being different to that repair is we connected on a very physical level. And that brought us closer to be able to dialogue with communication. So don't write it off. If you're the type of person who feels we have to be idealistic or 100%, everything's the stars are aligned or we can't be intimate because you might be missing the first step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's definitely important to look at the other aspects of your marriage and, and to make sure that those are healthy as well. Like Definitely, if there's conflict ongoing in the marriage, that is going to affect sexual intimacy. But I like how you mentioned that this could be a start to resolving some some conflict or just just to softening you towards your spouse again and and to letting down hard feelings or resentment that may have built up. It doesn't ever mean that you should use sex as a tool to excuse abuse or to forget about conflicts, of course. But um, but that sex can bond you and can open up the door to resolution, I think, and reconciliation again. Me too. It is really recorded scientifically that there's a lot of actual data that we have that suggests that healthy sexual behavior can make you a healthier person, which in turn creates a healthier family. So that's Mm -hmm. just so important. And because I see so many people, especially women who say that, I thought it was an important thing to throw into the talk because Mm -hmm. they need that encouragement. Not everyone always wants to have sex and it doesn't mean you need to every day or every hour. It just means keep that in strong consideration when you're holding out. I'm not going to have sex because I'm feeling resentful that this might be part of that holistic package. We keep talking about just part of it, not all of it, Mm because you still have issues to resolve, but just don't throw this piece out. So if you're struggling with an issue in this area and you are dealing with either shame or you guys are just crossing signals and you're not feeling healthy with it, what do you recommend couples do when they're hearing this podcast and they're like, yeah, but what can they do? Yeah. Well, I definitely recommend that um, couples look into professional therapy. I think that there is definitely a time and a place to talk to your pastor or to receive more pastoral counseling, but a lot of pastors have not been trained in professional counseling techniques or sex therapy. So they might be able to help some with like the biblical messages about sex, but they're not really going to be able to coach you through sex techniques or exercises that you can do at home that would help with your intimacy. And they're certainly not going to be able to treat sexual dysfunctions or problems like ED or or vaginismus. So, so um, couples can look for somebody who treats couples, like look for somebody who specializes in marriage therapy. You can even look for someone who specializes in sex therapy. There's only a couple of hundred certified Christian sex therapists in the country. I actually don't have that certification because you have to take some additional classes to get certified. And I just never pursued that, but, but I do have training in sex therapy. So I feel competent to provide that. So, so you could look and see if there are any certified Christian sex therapists in your area, but if not, you can definitely look for a marriage therapist and any marriage therapist is going to have some training in sex therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the model that I was trained in was, is called the DECR model. It's D-E-C-R and it stands for dialogue, education, coaching, and referral. So this is kind of the process that I would follow in sex therapy and that many other, um, couples and sex therapists would follow too. So we start by opening up this dialogue. Um, so helping couples to talk about sex because so many, um, were shamed for talking about it growing up or just didn't talk about it with their parents. You know, when I ask my social media audience, like, how did your parents teach you about sex? The number one response I got was they didn't, Mm, Um, they didn't teach me. Yeah. And so people are just not talking about sex and not having getting sex education. And so they don't know how to talk about it with their spouse either. 
Mm-hmm. So in therapy, I open up the dialogue to just ease any anxieties about talking about it and normalize um, sexual problems or difficulties and and also here assess what are, what's the client's sexual history together and also, you know, apart if they have sexual history prior to marriage, if there's any sexual trauma in their background mm-hmm. and what are their sexual beliefs and values. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the dialogue step. The next step is education. And this is when the therapist provides psychoeducation or just basic information education about sexual functioning. And if you see a Christian therapist, you might also get some education on the biblical truths about sex. So if people say like, well, sex is for men, it's not about a woman's pleasure. It's only for men. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, let's look at that belief. Like where did, where did that come from? What's the truth? What does the Bible say about sex being mutual and pleasurable for both, especially in song of songs? We see that, Mm -hmm. um, So doing some education in that step. And then the next step is coaching. And this is where I would do what we talked about, sensate focus and some self-help exercises that the couple can try at home. And then lastly, um, the R stands for referral. And we mentioned the importance of referring to a physician Mm -hmm. um, or even a pelvic floor physical therapist. If there's issues of sexual pain, that would be really important or a urologist Mm -hmm. um, for, Mm -hmm. for men's issues. So, um, OBGYN for women. So yeah, there's, there's several other professionals that you might refer to or get referred to in sex therapy, depending on what the issue is. But, um, but that's what couples can expect if they're looking for a sex therapist and thinking about starting sex therapy. That is fantastic. I know people are right now Googling and running to their phone and just grateful for you to be able to share this because this is a pain point for a lot of people. And it's a sensitive topic. As you said, even within the church, it can be understated or awkwardly stated or families may not have brought it up. So thank you. That is huge. Those referrals she just gave to pelvic floor, physical therapist, OBGYN, urologist, Mm -hmm. family doctor. These are great places to start when you get to that level. Thank you. Um, I also want to say that I think a lot of couples nowadays, Christian or otherwise are struggling because we're kind of coming out of this 50 shades of gray ish area. And that's brought out a lot of the animal instincts in people and a lot of the dominance and submission threads that already existed kind of just validated that. So I wondered if you think that there's a danger in that, or if you think that we can find true intimacy in that dominance and submission kind of sexual stance. And that's a huge question that probably deserves Mm -hmm. its own podcast. (laughs) Well, as I said, I, I think that sex should be mutual. And I look at things from an egalitarian perspective where we're both equal and valued partners. Mm -hmm. So I would say that anything that dehumanizes or degrades um, one partner is not going to be honoring to God and honoring to your marriage vows to love and respect each other. Mm. Um, Yeah. So if dominance and submission is used as a form of manipulation or control, or is very self and one-sided, like one person is getting a lot of sexual pleasure and the other one's not. If it's mm-hmm. used to enact someone's trauma history, I think that would be very concerning to me. And if it's experiences dehumanizing or degrading in any way, I, I would not support that or recommend that. I would be very concerned if I had a couple in therapy who engaged in those kind of behaviors and didn't feel, you know, didn't feel good about it. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of people who do, who don't talk about it. And Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate to be in the space where I do get to hear about it because of my job, but 99% of people or more are not in that space. And so there's a lot of loneliness there. And not only because of my job, do I know this, but I was really blown away. As I said, when we had Jay Stringer on because he did such an important Christian psychological study with thousands of people to say, 
hey, there's a bunch of people, 80 plus percent, who are dealing with this dominant submission uh, out of their shame past that they are watching pornography that is geared toward this. And, you know, mm-hmm. to hear that 80% of pornography wow. was geared toward men hurting women and that about mm-hmm. 20% was the opposite. And having learned this through my practice over the last two decades, that's why I'm checking in with you. And I'm loving what I hear you saying, which is no, it's not okay because it's not going to foster intimacy and it's not honoring to the other person or sometimes yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think from a Christian perspective, it seems very contrary to God's intent for marriage and for sex to be mutual, intimate, and pleasurable. You know, it seems like it's not honoring the image of God in the other person when you're trying to dominate them or value. Um, yeah, are being treated in that way. So, so from a Christian perspective, it's concerning. But then from just a just a psychological, secular perspective, like I said, if people were reenacting trauma in their past or shameful um, sexual experiences in their past, that would be very concerning to me of how they might be trying to work through their trauma in a, in a potentially very damaging way. And what do you think is the harm of that? Because I do think that a lot of people do that. And and mm-hmm. I, I know what my opinion is, but I'd love to hear so that people can follow our thread of why we think it's harmful. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's some research that says that people who are abused, um, whether physically or sexually, you know, they, they can be more likely to become abusers themselves, but they can also be more likely to be abused again. And I think that has to, could be because of this desire to process and work through their trauma that they end up getting into relationships like this, that might be abusive or might put them in a, in a position where they're just not treated with respect. And that's, never to blame a victim for her abuse or his abuse. Uh, I always want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important to receive psychological treatment if, if someone has been through trauma and mm-hmm. to find really healthy ways of working through that and healing from that, that, that don't involve like recapitulating that, I guess, in, in mm-hmm. your future relationships. I love that. Yes. Just a reminder right there that if you are engaging in reenacting trauma, that it's going to flood into the rest of your world with perhaps low self-esteem and lack of intimacy. And it's not honoring whether you're Christian or not, just your body's the way that it deserves to be respected. And so whether it's you allowing this in masochistically, or you are the one providing the pain element, it's important to look at the root of this, as well as to say, how can we be more loving together so that we're building trust and not just the trust that says, Hey, I trust you to hurt me and then let go. But the trust that says, I trust that you aren't going to use me for your pleasurable gain while I'm hurt actively. It's a trust that goes so much deeper that says, even if I'm vulnerable and I can't perform or I don't get to have an orgasm, I would never sacrifice your personal integrity in order to do that anymore, Mm -hmm. at least because Mm -hmm. a lot of people are doing this. So I think it's a call for people to, to back up here and say, I'd rather have true intimacy than I would uh, an orgasm. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're only able to orgasm through S and M type behaviors, I would be very concerned about that too. And really question that anytime there's this very narrow and um, aberrant, I guess, method of needing to orgasm, you know, you need that in order to orgasm, then I think that's, that's concerning. I think there's some psychological work to be done there to unpack mm-hmm. why, why you need only those particular behaviors um, in order to orgasm and can't experience pleasure in any other way. 
Right. And a lot of that has to do with a history of pornography. And I mm-hmm. love uh, Jay Stringer has the journey course and you're reminding us here to get connected with a great therapist or especially in the marriage field or the, the certified Christian sex therapist field. But I know people are like, we're comfortable people here on this podcast. We like our groups. <laughs> we're learning to uh, advocate for self-care. We're learning to advocate for marriage as well as for good social. So I wanted to see how people could connect with you, Dr. Camden, because mm-hmm. you have so much to share with us. Oh, thank you. Well, I love to connect with people on social media. I'm most active on Instagram and I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. And my name is Dr. Camden and my website is Dr. Camden as well. So you can find me in all those spaces and I keep a blog um, that's pretty active and I write about and speak about purity culture and sexuality and gender equality quite a bit. I have a quiz on my website that I would welcome people to take called which purity culture myth affects you. And we talked about the purity culture myths in our last interview, Krista. And so people can go back and listen to that episode if they want to hear more about it. And I'm a licensed psychologist and private practice, and but I am working on developing a coaching practice so that I can offer coaching services online to people outside of my state. So that's something new that I'm in the works of developing, and that's going to be available to women or to couples, specifically if there are issues related to purity, culture, and faith. And so if people are interested in learning more about that or putting their, you know, their name on my list and signing up to hear more about it, I've got a coaching page on my website. You can check that out. That is amazing. Thank you. That is exactly what I was hoping to hear even better. So yay, people can connect directly with you at Instagram, Twitter, uh, and especially like you said, through these wonderful freebies and even perhaps as a coach. So that's beautiful. And I'm just so in gratitude for you coming on and sharing with us today. Thank you so much. This is not an easy topic and you speak so fluently on it. Oh, well, thank you for having me again. I always love talking to you. So I'll come back anytime. Yay. Awesome. And I hope everyone will check out her Instagram and mine because we're going to be coming up in a few days sharing together about this topic and sex therapy 101 questions. So I'm just, I can't get enough of you. Thank you for coming back and keep, keep attuned to our Instagrams. Thank you, Krista. So I am so glad Dr. Camden came on to share with us, and I'm actually super thankful that we get to chat even more. So don't forget to send your questions to me. Go ahead and hop on Enneagram and Marriage at Instagram to write to me in the DMs or to use the question sticker to ask me a question. And stay tuned because we will be continuing this conversation so that you guys can have the very best for your marriages, for your families, for you, so that you can feel the best about what you're doing and how you're acting. And most of all, I think what's important is that you are feeling like you are being good to yourself as well as good to others. So I hope you have such a great week and I hope to talk to you soon. Bye-bye.